Hey, hey, this is your host, Dina. I wanted to pop on here real quick to let you guys know that I get pretty vulnerable on it. And because of that, I'm still sharing it, even though it sounds like I forgot to plug in my microphone. So I apologize for my poor sound quality, but I love Kirsten. So thank you again for being here. Bye. Hello and welcome to Fragmenters, the most entertaining podcast that I've found where you get to have a conversation with business women who are enthusiastic about life, work, and money. We love building up other women and getting them ready for their new careers. Cause, 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 no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Hello and welcome back to Fragmenters. I'm super excited to introduce you to Kirsten Smith. She's who I'm going to be chit-chatting with today. She is a fitness and nutrition coach and also has been just telling me about all the other stuff she's working on, so... Your fitness, nutrition, and what did you say? Mindset. That's the uh, the foundation for all of it. Mindset, movement, and what was the other one? And nutrition. Those and are nutrition. kind of the three legs of the stool. <laughs> Duh, nutrition. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you've owned a gym for 11 years? Yes, ma'am. Yep. My husband and I opened a gym in, I guess it was 2011. Do you also have clients in your gym or are you strictly online? At this point, I decided in, let me see, 2019, baby number four was born. And I had dealt with like my own kind of body image, losing the baby weight each time, never really getting back to like my baseline. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I'd lose it all except for 10, 15 pounds and then I'd get pregnant again. And then it would just snowball. So I found myself after baby number three in just a really bad place where I felt terrible about my body. That was actually the first time I ever hired a fitness nutrition coach. So I worked with somebody virtually uh, one-on-one and that really opened my eyes to the nutrition side Yeah, because realistically I'd been working out. I mean, I owned a gym, like I was working out like crazy, but I just wasn't getting results and I couldn't figure it out. And it was because I was... I was kind of eating like an asshole, right? Like I just, I was not being good with my diet and I lied to myself. Like it was easier to pretend like I had it figured out than it was like shine that bright light on how I was actually behaving. So by 2019, when baby number four was born, then I kind of, I was really in a, a good rhythm. I became a nutritionist, got certified at that point, and then kind of decided that I wanted to branch off away from the gym and kind of work on building my own thing, just working exclusively with busy women and moms, because that was like, those are my people, right? Like I get the struggles. I get, you know, all the stories that we tell ourselves, some of the excuses that we have kind of, I get how to break through some of those. So I don't work with anybody in person at this point. I am strictly doing my own thing and it is all virtual. Nice. That it really helps for those that live in little tiny communities who don't have that as an option. And then you're not limited. You can work with people all over. It's true. Can you work globally or is it just international? Um, No, I think I could work with it probably anywhere. Yeah. I wasn't sure how laws and regulations went with what you're doing. No, I think, I mean, most of what I do, there's the mindset component. I do group coaching calls 
once a week for people that can't attend live. Those are always the coaching segment at least is recorded. And then we post that in our private group that people have access to, but then, you know, prescribing some workout and some nutrition targets. And I like to focus on, you know, quality of what people are eating rather than quantity kind of improving the overall consumption to like more nutrient rich whole foods, less, you know, processed stuff. So yeah, you could be anywhere. Nice. Did you always want to do nutrition and fitness? Is this a passion that you had when you were a kid or what brought you into it? I hated working out. Isn't that funny? I I seriously hated it. Yeah. Um, I was not one of those people that ever, you know, some people are like, if I don't work out, like I get crazy. I'd be like, I'm not working out. Like I'll just sit here and like binge watch the show. Why would I go outside and run? No one's chasing me. Like that was just not my thing. But I married a guy who is like health and fitness and sports were always a really big part. I mean, he went to college to play football. And then he left college and he decided that he was going to join the military after September 11th. And he wasn't just going to join like the regular military. He's going to join special operations. And like, and he did. So like, he's just a high performer in every aspect of life, right? He's always, he he eats relatively healthy, but he just has, you know, a whole foundation of muscle memory and being in really good athletic shape that he can always fall back on. I didn't have that. Right. At all. So, I mean, it was his passion to open a gym and I wanted to support him, you know, cause he's very entrepreneurially minded. And again, that wasn't me, but I wanted to support his dreams. And if he wanted to work for himself and kind of reverse engineers lifestyle and have freedom of money and time and location and stuff like that, eventually, then I was, I was going to do it for him, but no, it, it was not like, something that ever really spoke to me. <laughs> Funny how that, that works out. I never thought I'd be a business owner either. And now I just keep pumping them out. <laughs> I know every time I turn around, every time we talk, you've got something new in the hopper. Yep. Oh, and speaking of new in the hopper, dun, 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 dun you're well, by the time this is out, you will have a book released. I know. Came out That's of nowhere. Wild. Well, for me. It's true. It's true. I um man, I'm in this mastermind and the guy who runs it, he's a big proponent of people writing books. Mm-hmm. It's like if you want to be, you know, a subject matter expert in your field, then you gotta have a book. It's like the new business card. Kind and of. it it was so funny because when he first was talking about it, I just kind of wrote it off. And I'm like, well, that's that's advice for somebody else, not me, right? Like what am I going to write about? Like I was a stay-at-home mom for the better part of 10 years. Like I'm going to write about the best way to cook chicken nuggets and make mac and cheese and like potty train a toddler. (laughs) I'm like, I haven't built anything. Like who would want to read anything that I have to say? But then the more that I interacted with other women and, you know, kind of shared the struggles of being married to an entrepreneur who was very obsessed with building a business, right. And me getting kind of losing my identity being a mom of really young kids, Mm -hmm. um, kind of, I lost my ability to set goals for myself and figure out what I wanted, right. All my needs were always on the back burner. And I felt like I was kind of pouring out of that, that cup all the time. And then by the end of the day, I had an empty cup and I was like, well, somebody please fill my cup. (laughs) 
Right. And I would think my husband's going to come home and he's going to fill my cup and he's going to like help me. And that never happened. Right. Right. And then it just like built all this resentment and all these relationship issues. And I wasn't showing up in any aspect of life really the way that I wanted to, like, I wasn't the wife I wanted to be. I wasn't the mom that I wanted to be. I wasn't like the version. I didn't even know who I was anymore. Right. Like I wore all these hats, like housekeeper and like nanny and chef and doctor and dentist and like whatever else. But like, there was a hat somewhere that said Kirsten and I, I hadn't put it on in years. Like I had done nothing to like take care of myself, mm-hmm. really treat myself like somebody that I loved. So the more that I shared that, the more people kind of echoed that they had a lot of the same issues, yeah. you know? And I realized that I went to a really dark place and I stayed there for years and I had a hard time getting out of it, but I did get out of it. Like that's not my life anymore. And that's not who I am. And I've learned a lot of lessons because of the heartaches that I went through and the struggles and being able to share that with people and have them kind of get a little like light bulb aha moment that like, maybe I'm carrying the story around and I'm telling myself it's true, but maybe it's not really true. Like I used to tell myself, my husband doesn't care about my goals. He can make the time for him to work out, but I can't ever get any time out of the house to go to the gym. Like he's not going to watch the kids so that I can go work out. And it's because he doesn't care about my goals. He only cares about his own goals. And that was my story for years. And that kept me stuck where I was. Yeah. But then he dropped buku bucks to hire me a fitness and nutrition coach. So I couldn't tell myself he didn't care about my goals anymore. Right. Because now I had these two stories and they couldn't both be true. So I had to choose. And I realized that I had all of these stories that were just playing on repeat in my head all the time. And once I started questioning them, then like, I really started deciding, like taking an active role, like, what do I want to believe? What's serving me? What's helping me like create a life that I love and what's holding me back from those goals. And so eventually I was like, I mean, it's super vulnerable and uncomfortable and it's honestly like a little terrifying, but my hope is that people can read it and at least, you know, understand that they're not alone. Cause I think a lot of it's, there's some kind of nitty gritty about talking about being unfulfilled mm-hmm. when you're a stay at home parent. Right. Cause we're supposed, we're told like, we can't really do stuff for ourselves. I think society tells us that you know, you're not supposed to be selfish. You're supposed to give to your children and give and give because they're your children Oh, for and, sure. and you should, but you also like you, you can't be selfless until you're a little bit selfish. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's kind of in a nutshell, how, how it all came about. And it's my hope that, you know, if people read it, then they don't have to get stuck in that dark pit of despair that I found myself in for years. Well, that I'm so excited to read it because I've never been a stay-at-home parent. I was a programmed you never trust men with money, so I always had to be working. But I do have four kids and I lived mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere and when I felt like I had free time, I always gave it. So I became a volunteer EMT and I did a car show for our little tiny town. And yeah, I totally just filled every moment with, I have to give, give, give. And I had no idea who I was. So yeah, yeah it's really, I think it's a lot more common that it, than it should be. Mm-hmm. But 
I'm excited to read your story because I thank you. I've gotten to know you a little bit and I I aspire to be more like you one day. So oh my gosh, that'll get me kind. closer. Far too kind. <laughs> you said that you are certified in nutrition. Do you have yes. any other formal education for anything? I have the funniest formal education background that you will ever hear. My husband and I moved to Houston in 2008 because I had just finished my master's and I got recruited to do my PhD at Rice University. So we moved down here and I spent six years working on a PhD in Arabic and Islamic studies. That was my background. I was preparing for a career in academia. I was going to be a college professor or my research dealt with uh, justifications for violence in Islam. And I focused on modern stuff. So it was a lot of, you know, the kind of internal dialogues within sort of the Islamic intelligentsia on how are they justifying things like to use nuclear weapons or suicide bombing, or how can you wage war against non-combatants? Where's the religious justification that we can make for this? So, you know, I could have done some State Department or CIA stuff as well. But then I had a kid and I stuck it out for another year. And yeah, I, I got to a point where I realized that like, I could not have it both ways. Right. I was really trying to like juggle finishing my PhD. I was writing my dissertation at that point, having an infant. And there was one particular meeting where I was, I was teaching. I was kind of co-teaching with the director of the public policy Institute at Rice's campus. And we were having a meeting and also in attendance was secretary of state, former secretary of state, James Baker. Oh, wow. So it's the three of us, this former ambassador, who's the director, former secretary of state, myself, and I'm a new mom. So I've got my infant like strapped to me in a little carrier. Okay. Sitting at this conference table with them thinking like, oh, I can do it all. Um, This baby wakes up and does one of those like massive, like mustard newborn blowout poops all over me, all over her. There's, there's poop everywhere. It's insane. And I've got like these two diplomats sitting across the table from me, eyes as big as saucers. And I'm like that, that exact moment, I decided like, I can't do it all. Right. Right. That became my new story. I can't do it all. So I'm, I'm a stay at home mom now. That's, that's it. You just quit from all to nothing. Not that, sorry, that came out so wrong. (laughs) No, no, it didn't. (laughs) I meant externally nothing career-wise. Oh my gosh. I did not. (laughs) No, you're totally fine. So yeah, I I withdrew at that point. Cause I was like, do I really need to finish this PhD to be a stay-at-home mom? Cause like, what am I going to do? I can't clearly, I can't go to work meetings and then like also take care of a baby. Mm -hmm. Right. My husband's building a business. So like, he's not going to stay home with a baby. We don't have any family that lives in the state of Texas. I don't want to just, you know, I can't afford for a nanny to be here all day, every day. I don't want to take a baby to daycare. So this is the only option. I'm, I'm just, I'm a stay at home mom now. And so I withdrew. And then, you know, since we were, I was in the health and fitness space, obviously having owned a gym, um, you know, I did get certified, you know, various things over the next 
what, 11 years it's been. Brief foray into real estate as well since we we invest in real estate. So I became a realtor in 2020. Nice. Because we were just buying a bunch of properties. I was like, I might as well be the agent on these, right? Oh, My for sure. Like, I guess it makes sense. So, you know, get a couple commission checks every once in a while. Nice. <laughs> do you do you still work it? For real estate? Yeah. No. No. Nope. I um I actually I up to renew. And I either have to go do all my continuing education all at once before my license expires or just make the decision to let it expire. And I think with where my focus is now, like what I'm passionate about doing is working with women, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I love helping people. I love seeing people, you know, make really sustainable changes in their lifestyle and seeing them regain self-confidence. And that's what I want to put my energy in my time into, I'd love to build my group coaching program because it allows me to reach more women, mm-hmm. you know, with not a ton more time. And I just, I don't, my husband is very much kind of the full-time real estate investor in our family. And it does, you know, it's not, it's time it's to not really my cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hand that over to him. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Like you, like you said earlier, you can't do it all. Yeah. And if you know your limitations, yeah. If this is your passion and you're going to write books and do all that stuff, he's got to sell his own houses to himself. (laughs) That's right. That's right. What's been your biggest obstacle getting into this field? Myself. Yeah. Yeah. Almost every person, including myself, we are our biggest obstacle. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Even when we think it's something that's outside of us, it's still something that we imagine, right? Mm-hmm. It's generally, I mean, it, it may be rooted in some truth, but a lot of the time it's stuff that we make up mm-hmm. or it's, it's fear of judgment. I mean, that was mine. It was raging imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. Like who am I to you know, to coach people. I don't have my own shit together, right? Like we're so critical of ourselves most of the time that to take that leap is we're the ones that will stop us. Oh, for sure. So that it was just, you were afraid. I think so. It's been your biggest obstacle, even getting clients and. Yeah. I mean, I think being able to have faith in myself, it's gotten better you know, over the course of a couple of years, but yeah, I mean, I still struggle with it from time to time. Even the idea of like, you know, I'm launching a book in what, like four days. Yeah. The idea that like people would buy it. I'm still like, why in the world would someone buy a book I wrote? Like, why would they want to read that? That's crazy to me. And it's just, it's imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. right? We tend to think that like, the stuff that we already know or experiences that we've been through or maybe things that come easy to us must come easy to other people too. Yes. Yes. I, I deal with that all the time. Like um, Nick and I are both in IT and have been forever, but he is a lot more into coding and I call the nerd part of it. I'm more of the gooey side. He's more of the coding side. So when we're talking to each other, sometimes we get to where we're talking, like we're talking to an end user. So we're like 
okay, now you need to go to the left and click the start. And he's like, I fucking know where the start button is. And I'm like, oh yeah, sorry. But then he'll explain something to me about this HTML code that he's writing for a website. And I'm like, and he's like, don't you know that? I'm like, no. So I have to, I have to remind myself all the time, just because I know it doesn't mean other people know it. And yeah, it's so weird when you think about it, but yeah, it's pretty funny. The thing that I thought was really interesting was I went to, um, I went to a meetup like seminar thing last it was probably a year ago, maybe last April ish sometime spring, early summer. And one of the speakers who was there, his whole talk was on this idea of like the little voice in the back of your head, like the little voice that speaks to you. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I'm going to throw something out there. Maybe I'm crazy, but think about like the prophets all throughout history, like biblical prophets and stuff and any religion. He's like, what if you are a prophet? What if that, like that little voice in the back of your head, that's telling you something, what if you're meant to share that message? And because you're scared of how people are going to judge you or what people are going to say, if they're going to think you're cool, if they're going to approve of your message, then you, you hold it in. But realistically it needs to be out there. And he's like, think about like all the prophets. You think people were like, oh yeah, that Jesus guy, he's totally got his head screwed on. Right. (laughs) No, they were like, oh, he's nuts. Right. So he's like, who cares if people are going to judge you on social media anyway, but you still have the ability to help people. And he argued that you have the duty. If you've got that little voice, that's telling you something in the back of your head all the time, you have the duty to share that and reach other people because you could be a prophet. And I was like, that's such a fascinating idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that (laughs) I, I'm like a reverse prophet. I had this little, little voice in the back of my head. And it was like, you need to get other women to talk. So I just, I'm just going out and plucking all the women that are the prophets and making them talk on my podcast. I I don't think you should sell yourself short on that one. Oh no. Everybody gets to hear all the things about me. So that's fine. They'll get tired of it. No, they won't. I'm pretty funny. I think you're funny. I like that you've got a platform. So what's helped you the most getting into this field and sticking with it? I think that I have a certain personality trait that I tend to overthink and I tend to have like a little bit of analysis paralysis initially. I also like to make things perfect. And a lot of the time that keeps me from action. Right. Cause I don't want to act until it's perfect. Right. But then how often does it actually end up perfect? Right. Never. Not very often. <laughs> so I think the biggest thing has been getting over that fear of everything, not being perfect. Right. Just taking action, like ship the work and then you can revise it. You can get better, mm-hmm. but just like the commitment to do it. Cause once I decide to do something like I'm pretty committed. I don't do it halfway, right? Like I didn't go to school and think like, oh, I'm just going to do my bachelor's and this, we'll see how it goes. I'm like, no, I'm going to do my PhD and maybe I'll do a postdoc too. Like I was going to go all the way, mm-hmm. right? Same kind of thing. Like 
don't know if I'm going to have kids, I'll go like, I'm going to have all the kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I go hard. Like I cloth diapered those kids. Like I made baby food. Cause I'm like, I'm going to, I'm gonna mom real hard. <laughs> and <laughs> so that's kind of my attitude that once I, I get over that initial, like, should I do it or should I not do it? And I act then like I'm in. Mm-hmm. So just big balls and determination. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of like a, a burn the boats kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> So you've mentioned your kids a few times. You have four of them. At last count, there were four. Well, I know they were pressuring for a fifth. So I was seeing if we had an announcement here. No, 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 no. (laughs) Mama's done. My number two was pressuring last week. She's like, could we have quadruplets? And I'm like, we most certainly could not. (laughs) No. Yeah. So how has having your kids affected this because you had kids quit your doctorate and then decided to go into this. How has kids affected your career moves? I mean, I think, I think what really got me stuck was being in that stay at home mom role where I didn't have anything else to put my energy and focus in. Right. Cause I wanted to be a high performer. Like, that's why I was like, well, I'm going to cloth diaper. I'm going to make baby food. Like I'm going to, I'm going to mom the shit out of these kids. <laughs> right. Just y'all watch. And cause I wanted to be a high performer in my role, but taking care of your house and taking care of kids, especially when they're really young, like that's a thankless job. Yes. It's a really thankless job, right? You're doing all the menial labor that no one, like I always say, <laughs> everyone loves to have clean underwear in their drawer. Like, does anyone ever thank you for putting the clean underwear there? No, no. But like, will they bitch at you if the clean underwear is not there? Yes. Right. So like everybody notices when you drop the ball, but no one ever notices like when you outperform Mm -hmm. in those roles. So I think I got really stuck and because I lost that ability to set goals. I didn't, I couldn't conceptualize like how to succeed in the role I was in. Right. And I allowed myself to stop growing. So like any of the winning habits that I had, like life kept throwing me a curveball, right? Well, you got a baby, baby wakes up multiple times the night. So now I'm not waking up regularly because I'm trying to sleep whenever I can. And I'm now waking up whenever my kids get up and now my hair's on fire and I'm trying to get them fed. And like now my whole day's chaotic. And like, I just started losing all of like good habits and building really bad habits over time, right? Cause you're always building habits and you're choosing, are you building good ones? or Are you building bad ones? And because I stopped prioritizing myself, I stopped creating those good habits and I got really stuck in this mindset that like there was no growth in a role like as mom which was really short-sighted, right? And it, I think I really did myself a disservice by thinking about that. Because realistically, like I needed, if I'm going to work in this house, right? If I am like in charge of all of this, this is my area of operations and it's the house and the laundry and the kids and the school and the errands and the bills and anything in these four walls, then like I needed to run it like a business. Yeah. 
right? And I was running it the entire time, like it was a little startup where I was still the person that had to scrub the toilets. I was like the only employee, but my business was growing, right? I added a second kid. I added a quadruple. I added a fourth kid. We added a bigger house. We added like more problems. We added more stuff to take care of, more messes, more cleanups. And I didn't grow. I didn't ever grow into that role. I didn't become the CEO of my business. I held on to all those little things because I equated doing the dishes and being really busy with like my husband's production of money, right? I felt like I was really lacking because even though I was working and I was enabling our family to earn more money and, you know, to, to build wealth and build a future for us, it was not lost on me that I was not the one depositing the checks. Right. Right. And that really creates, um, it can create some distrust and some scarcity when it comes to money. So I felt like I was acutely aware, even though I'm still working, I don't get a check for any of it. Right. I don't get a raise. I don't get X, Y, and Z. So it was almost like I felt this little seed of guilt. How do I tell my husband, like my job to take care of the house and the kids, but like, how do I then take our money to then offload my tasks? Right. And I internalized that for a really long time and felt really guilty about it. But the correct way of looking at it is like, this is a business and we got to reinvest in the business. Mm -hmm. Right. And as your kids get older, you know, they need different things. Your kids don't necessarily need you to warm up their mac and cheese. Now, you know, they're 12 and they need to have conversations about interpersonal relationships and why like Susie down the street doesn't want to be friends anymore and is a backstabber Mm -hmm. and whatever else. Like it takes a lot more hands-on deeper conversations being involved in child rearing as they get older, right? Like you're not worried about them drowning in the pool anymore. Now you're worried about them like navigating big things in life. Yeah. And I didn't ever push myself to grow out of the $10 an hour tasks in my business to like the $100 an hour tasks, mm-hmm. right? That was a lesson that I learned the hard way. Cause I was like, I'm doing everything and I'm sucking at all of it. I'm, I'm sure that everyone listening has felt that a time or a thousand. I know I have, mm-hmm. but I had to focus on like what I was good at. And also what brought me joy, like folding laundry does not bring me joy. That's why I don't do it. I don't mind washing the laundry. I will even sort it. Everyone has their own little cubby with their laundry basket. I'll throw it in there, but that's where laundry goes to die. You need clean clothes. Like now I'm too busy. Like you go fish through that clean basket. That's where you can find them. Not in your drawers, unless you put them there, but I can outsource laundry folding. And I did. And the lady comes in and she folds my laundry and she puts it away. And it doesn't cost a lot of money and I'm a whole lot happier. And everybody's clothes are put away. Yeah. Like, why did I actively fight against this stuff for so many years? Well, I think you hit on it. We have that, that guilt. That's just, I, I really feel that systemically or society, when you think about stay at home moms, what's the first thing that usually pops in your head? Soap operas and bonbons. Soap operas and bonbons. That's always going to say sitting on your butt, watching Netflix in a dirty ass living room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the first thing that comes to your head. And every stay-at-home mom I know is not like that. No. So where the fuck is that coming from, first of all? You, you will think this is funny because I, when I was 
working with my editor and my publisher to Uh publish this book. They sent me to my first cover designer and the picture was like a really stressed out mom juggling like pans and a baby and like a basket of laundry. And I'm like, no, like this doesn't speak to me. And so then he was like unwilling to even work with me because I like shot down the first one. So then they sent me to the second cover designer, same thing right? It was like the pictures were a messy living room with like toys all over the place. And then like the title was written on the wall behind it. And then another one was like a really stressed out woman from behind in a big messy room. And I'm like, that's too obvious. Like, and that's, it just felt lazy that like, that's what everybody thinks because housewife was in the title, but they were like, oh, well here, there's somebody real unhappy in a big mess. (laughs) Great. Which, and from what you're saying your house probably didn't look like that because you were the overachiever. I know we all have bad days and stuff, but you know, you worked your ass off every day. I definitely let the standards slip as time went on until I brought in reinforcements. Yeah, but again, in a bigger house with more more butts to wipe, it's a little Mm -hmm. harder. (laughs) More hands that could hold markers. Oh my gosh, Sharpies especially. Oh, we had one get a hold of a Sharpie in our business. <laughs> we had to repaint a wall. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. It those hands, they're they're quick. Yeah. But yeah, it it's really frustrating because I know the work that goes into it. And actually, Nick was a stay-at-home dad for I think nine months. And mm. it was probably the happiest he's ever been. Really? Yeah, we are very reversed roles. He is super organized and clean and I'm not. (laughs) That's that's it. I'm just not. It takes so much work for me to organize anything. My armoire is a mess. My closet's a mess I'm just it's not natural to me and it is him so he was in this job that was murdering his soul and we talked about it and we had started our first business and I was like just stay home because he had brought it up I'm like stay home work our business when you know we can and we'll see how it goes he was so fucking happy He was so satisfied. He picked up the kids and he cleaned and he cooked Mm -hmm. and everything was great. Um, We didn't get enough business for him to stay that way, but he did have the time to find the job he's in now, which he absolutely loves. But he not only internally felt that I'm not bringing in the money, which I think was compounded because his entire life, his dad was the breadwinner. He was expected to be the breadwinner. Men bring in the money and I was bringing in the money. Even though we were more happy and stress-free because I came home to, it sounds so weird, but I came home to a clean house and I had time. It was so nice. But um. Yeah, that was a huge thing on his mind that he's like, I don't feel like I'm contributing. I'm like, babe, our house, we have five cats and it is impeccably clean. I can walk through without, with black clothes and not have hair on me. It's immaculate. Like, how are you not contributing? But it was, it's deep ingrained. And I think 
part of that is just the, what do you think of? Lazy, doesn't do anything. And even though he's was exactly the opposite, that's still what everyone expects. Yeah. And I think that that's even some of our own internal head trash. Like I know that I felt self-conscious about that. Like I knew I was working. I knew I was producing in a way, but at the same time, I felt like I had to stay busy, right? Because if my husband's busy, then I had to be busier, especially if I wanted to ever ask for help in any way. And this is one thing that I think it took me a really long time to come to terms with, but, you know, there were instances where I would ask for his help, right? Or I'd ask for him to create like time or space for me to do something for me. Mm-hmm. And anytime I felt like I met resistance and, you know, maybe he didn't mean to like be a dick, but like, sometimes he would just come off as a jerk. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm too busy to help you kind of, right. Or at least that was how I interpreted it. Oh, so he was human. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but I was not in a position in life to give a whole lot of grace. I'll be honest. So, yeah. you know, I would internalize that and I'd be like, well, you're not the only one that's busy. Like, what do you think I do all day? And I'd have to like list all my achievements, right. I'd have to list all the things that I did and be like, do you want to do that? Like, no. And he'd be like, well, I'm busy too. And I'm like, well, no one said you're busy. Like, just cause I'm busy. Doesn't mean that you're not busy, but like, can you work with me here? And I went about it the wrong way all the time. And we'd never get anywhere. We just have like the same argument over and over and over again, it felt like. Right. And it took me a really long time to realize that like I was using my to-do list and all those responsibilities as a weapon. And like, that was another reason why I didn't want to give it up because how could I win hypothetical future arguments (laughs) if I let somebody else take responsibilities off my plate? You're really used to being vulnerable. You're saying that shit <laughs> we all have probably thought or haven't even realized about ourselves mm-hmm. and you're just coming out with it. Right. I wrote a book on it, man. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So but that was a hard one to realize though, that like I was I was actively working against my own happiness to like yeah. try to win an argument. Right. It's that old, that line of like, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy? Cause sometimes you can choose to be right. Knowing that it's, it's not going to make you happy. Right. They don't always coincide. I just really like to be right. I'll I, be do too. <laughs> I do too. I will like fight to the death to be right. My husband is always like, you cannot even formulate the words. I'm sorry. Or like I was wrong. And I'm like, well, cause I'm never wrong. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that you think I'm wrong. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, there's some reel that was going around that I was like, I'm going to have to make this because it was like a husband talk or a wife talking to her husband. She's like, well, I think that's the problem is like you see it as arguing, whereas I see it as having a discussion that is geared towards convincing you why you are wrong. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, that that feels accurate. Mm (laughs) Oh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> just well, I'm I'm remembering back when I was married, when I completely lost myself, and I'm you know still processing through that. You never fully get over everything, but I can see where I had done that too, where I would just have this list was right here. 
Yes. Nobody can see, but it's right there. And as soon as the wrong thing was said, I'd be like, I've been at work and I did this and I made food and I had an EMT call and I did beep, beep, beep. And it was literally there just for that moment. Locked and loaded, baby. Locked yep. and loaded. So I don't know that I do that, but I should probably reflect on that <laughs> <laughs> and see how, how, uh, less right I've been lately. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but this is where we have to end episode one. Kirsten and I had so much fun having this conversation that it turned into a two-parter. So come back next week, Wednesday, and you will get to hear part two of Kirsten and Mai's interview. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you had as much fun as I did. If you liked this, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure that you can more easily find me in the future. Thank you again. Bye.